Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. All right. Uh, before we get started here, I just want to give a little info about this episode because it's going to be a little bit different from normal. So uh, we have, for the second time ever, a guest on the podcast today, uh, Malia Jones, who I will introduce in just a second. The reason she's on is uh, we work together and uh, she runs what we call the Coding Fellowship, which is when, where we teach people how to code uh, over the summer. Um, in doing that, uh, well, Rick is kind of an expert with no code, which is a relatively new thing that lets you build software without knowing how to code. And so uh, Malia and I are going to pick Rick's brain on how no code works to consider if we should incorporate it into the fellowship. Um, this probably isn't a topic that's super relevant to a lot of people, but there's two reasons we decided to record it rather than have this as a private conversation. One is no code is going to be a big deal in the future. So even if it's not something that's super relevant to you right now, having a baseline understanding of it, which is what we're going to go over today, I think will be helpful for pretty much anyone. The second is even if this topic isn't something you care about, I personally love hearing other people brainstorm and how they approach problem solving and stuff like that. So uh, maybe you'll find that aspect of it interesting, hopefully. Um, okay, so let me introduce Malia. So she has a really interesting background for someone working in tech. Um, she was originally, well, she she majored in education, and I met her as a college student. And uh, she was in the first summer of the coding fellowship. So the first time I met her was she was learning how to code at Less Annoying CRM. Uh, the combination of education and technology is really interesting, especially because that means you can now take that and go teach more people those skills. So she came back the next summer to kind of help out with the coding fellowship and and on and on, such that last summer, uh, I had almost nothing to do with the coding fellowship. Malia handled the whole thing, teaching the coding lessons, mentoring the fellows, helping them get you know careers in tech if that's what they're looking for, the whole shebang. So uh, that's a little bit of background uh on malia did, did i miss anything should i do you, do you want to add anything to that description nope i think that was pretty good okay cool um so thanks for thanks for being on the podcast thanks for having me yeah absolutely so we're gonna start with uh kind of our normal updates but we're gonna keep them short today so rick uh what's been going on with you well the big news is i'm back in utah um last uh, let's see for the last 12 days i've been in north carolina visiting family which was a big deal because I hadn't seen them in over 10 months, which is the longest I've ever gone without seeing my dad or my mom. And uh, so it was, well, except maybe freshman year of college, because I really didn't go home. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> but, go home uh, for like Thanksgiving? I or did. I guess I did for Christmas, but I definitely didn't. I, I got a talking to when I went home for the first time because I was like, we haven't heard from you. Are you alive? Because um, cell phones were just coming around then. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> Um, but, but, uh, I'm back in Utah. It's good to be home. You, you forget how disruptive traveling is to your day-to-day -day routines. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get back into the grind, uh, cause it didn't really work much. Um, but happy to be here. Um, we're, I, I was mentioning to Tyler before the, we recorded that I'm looking, um, we, we, my wife and I have just decided to move outside of Salt Lake city. We are living downtown right now on a two bedroom condo and it has not been conducive to work from home. Uh, or I should say both of us working from home. I was fine working from home by myself, but uh, we need more space. So, um, and, and one of the 
one of the you know the challenges living downtown right now is that the uh, really the upkeep upkeep of the city has deteriorated greatly um, from where it was pre-COVID. Um, it smells. It, it you know there's a. It's hard to. It's uncomfortable to to be downtown sometimes, um, especially if you want to go for a walk around the block. Um, and you're let's. Just, I, I'm fine with it. My wife feels doesn't feel safe. So it's a. Uh, we're moving about thirty minutes outside the city to a suburb. Um, which we're going to see if we like, we really like city life. So, um, I'm, I'm glad we're just going to lease for a year and see if we like it and then make a, uh, a more educated decision on where to live after that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my big news. Uh, and I'll leave it at that this week. Cool. Well, wh- when is the move happening? Uh, probably within the next anywhere from 15 to 60 days. That is, as I mentioned uh, earlier to you offline, that is not my department. <laughs> Sable's handling the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Um, Malia, how about you? Anything going on? I mean, I realize we don't have any context around what you were working on before, but what's been going on this week? <laughs> well, there's not much more. I've been off all week, so I've been sleeping a lot and juicing a lot. That's about it that and uh rubbing my dog bella she like actually likes me this week so that's pretty much it (laughs) talk about the juicing you're starting a juice business is that right yes i'm building a juice bar um i'm really excited it's gonna be and it is called drink your greens pretty much it's just gonna be a way for everyone to be able to drink their greens and um eat healthy so i'm really excited about it i actually sold my first big cleanse last week um, so this week off is really nice because I had like three nights where I was up until 3 a.m. juicing. So what's the name of your juice bar? Drink your greens. Drink your greens. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. And is, uh, it, it, when you sell a, a package, what does that entail? Um, so ba- it'll be based on whatever, uh, the people's like physical or just spiritual goals are. Um, but pretty much it's just like whatever you're trying to do. So these past, it was three clients, they all wanted to lose some quarantine weight and then also just kickstart eating healthy again. And so it just included a lot of detoxing types of ingredients. Um, and then I also give you like a guide on how to go into the cleanse um, and how to come out of the cleanse so that you don't wreck your uh, digestive system. Ooh. Yeah. I have a feeling that I would totally wreck my digestive <laughs> system. Um, I was a wrestler in college and we did really bad things to our digestive oh, yeah. systems. <laughs> I have a friend who was a wrestler, and yeah, those fasts are not the types of fasts that I encourage. <laughs> How long is a typical detox? Um, so for beginners, I start them with a three-day. I'm actually, next month, I'm going to do a 30-day juice fast. So it just Ooh. depends on, yeah, it's exciting. Have um, you, do- like, you're personally doing 30 days with nothing but juice yep. and water, I yep. assume? Have you done that before? No. <laughs> the longest oh, I've man. done is eight days. But yeah, I'm excited. Wow. We should have an update about that. Yeah. At some point. <laughs> wow. Um, cool. And then for me, I, I have a million updates that we'll talk about next week, but I'm also in the moving game here. So uh, the house closes a week from tomorrow and I'm taking, I haven't had a vacation since quarantine started really. Uh, because normally I don't take off during the summer cause like there's interns and like, it's just, uh, you know, I could get away with 
taking off, but it's just easier not to. So I'm kind of, it's going to be two weeks and I'm planning on taking a week to move and then a week to just relax in the new house probably. So it's going to be the most boring vacation ever. (laughs) Well, you deserve it, man. Um, I just, I, I wasn't planning on taking as much of a vacation when I visited North Carolina, but I ended up not working nearly at all, except mm-hmm. maybe a few hours in the morning. And it was uh, awesome. I think you'll feel really good when you get back. Yeah. Every time I'm like a few months out of a vacation, I'm like, this is fine. I can do this forever. And like more and more recently, I've been like, maybe I'll just take this afternoon off because like I'm not feeling it right now. So yeah, it'll it'll be recharging, I think. I definitely thought I was going to do a bunch of stuff this week and I have slept like two days straight. So it's awesome. That's 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 my kind of vacation. (laughs) That's the difference between traveling and vacation. Vacation is what you're doing. Traveling is something completely different. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that because we're actually going to kind of our our benefits policy at Less Annoying CRM has vacation days. Um, And I think that's actually been like the wrong word to use. So we're going to start calling them personal days because I think people feel like if you just take a day, like there's a difference between I'm sick and can't work versus I just don't want to work right now. And I think people feel guilty taking vacation days for that. So we're going to change the name. I love personal days. Oh man, that's, that's a, that would be a great improvement. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. Well, let's dive into the topic here. So I kind of talked about it a little bit uh, in the intro here, but I'll go into a little more detail here about what what the point of this conversation is. So uh, at Less Annoying CRM, we have this thing called the Coding Fellowship, where every summer we invite a handful, like maybe four to six people to come in and learn how to code. And these are people with without technical backgrounds. Um, so it's kind of very, very beginner how to code stuff. And the idea is to, if they like it and if they like the industry, to give them a foot in the door to um, to be able to work in tech if they want. And we've hired three people from it, so it's also a good recruiting program for us. Uh, Malia handled this last summer, and we'll hear a little bit more about how that went. But one of the things is that, that we've seen is some people like getting into tech, but maybe don't see themselves as full-time programmers. And we've kind of, it's caused us to reconsider what is the point of the coding fellowship? Is it to teach someone how to code or is it just to give them the tools they need to have a role in the tech industry? And so if you're a regular listener, you've heard Rick talk a lot uh, over the last year or so about no code, which is how you build software without writing code. So what we want to talk about here is should we be teaching the coding fellows? Well, we'll definitely teach them some coding, but should we be teaching them how to build software regardless of how they do it, code or no code, which would mean having a heavy emphasis on the no-code part, which we didn't have before. And if so, how do you do that? How do you teach someone no-code? It's this really new field. I know nothing about it. Malia knows a little, but not a lot about it. So we're going to pick Rick's brain here, ask a bunch of questions, and just try and learn what is no-code and how would how would one go about learning it? Does that seem like the right context to you two? Yeah, and I'll just add a disclaimer. Um, if I think Tyler introduced me as an expert in no-code, and I just want to just say I, I'm I'm nowhere near an expert, but I have gotten my hands dirty enough to I think shortcut some learning here. So um, to the true experts out there who may be listening, I, <laughs> I respect you. <laughs> um, cool. So can we? This doesn't need to be a long description, but Malia, can you just talk about like last summer? What was the curriculum? What did people learn related to coding? And I know you spent a week on no code. What did you What did you cover last summer? 
So last summer we were focused on front end development. Um, and so that just consisted of previous summers we were full stack. Um, so one of the biggest difference from this summer that I noticed when planning and then also teaching the lessons was we had more of a focus on design um, and user experience and just what you see um, as opposed to like logic um, and things like that. Uh, we did spend a week on no code um, and they learned HTML, CSS and JavaScript um, just m- mostly front end JavaScript. We really didn't get into any like view or we didn't get into any frameworks or anything like that. But yeah, just front end development. Cool. And you liked that, like the plan for next summer. Let's say we don't do any no code stuff. It's still to stay front end and not do full stack again. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think this summer I saw the coding fellows get um a lot more of that just positive reinforcement from being able to see what they built um and i think it was also easier to understand what coding was doing because almost everything that they almost everything that they learned to code they were able to visibly see the changes um and also i think that people more often than not um people that come into the fellowship with like little to no uh just background in technology are way more interested in design and way more interested in building something that they can show other people um, as opposed to like more back end um, or just full stack things. So definitely mm-hmm. want to do this again next summer. Have you guys focused on full stack in the past with this program? Yes. Yeah, so this was the first year. Is this, was this our fourth summer? So something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, so three out of the four summers were uh, full stack focused. This was our first summer front end and first summer remote. It was a roller coaster. Wow, wow. And and I'm interested in sort of what didn't go well when you were doing the full stack, um, specifically with respect to the back end. Well, I, it was partially a decision made out of necessity which is it's really if you have back end that means the stuff that runs on a server you have to get a server running on their computer and when Malia and I were talking like that's all even in person that's really hard we're like how is this going to work remotely and so that i i think we both felt really relieved when it was like well let's just not do that <laughs> yep <laughs> and when you did that um how has it been better than with, so you did that sort of by necessity, but it, you're saying you want to do it again. Um, you went through some details on why, but maybe why is it okay to sort of give up the back end understanding in favor of seeing what you build? So I think that I am a proponent of teaching people things that they want to learn. Um, and I also don't really believe in teaching people stuff just because tech bros think it's important. Um we want to teach people how to code and we want to give them a basis um, to start with um, with coding. And you can totally do that with front end. Um, there was one coding fellow who is very, very interested in being a full time developer. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a full time developer by this time next year. Um, and he's going to like moving forward. He's going to learn back end development. It's not like if you if you don't learn backend development as soon as you start coding, like you're going to be a worse off coder. It's just not necessary. Um, and so there's no reason to push it when people are having, well, this, what I recognized this summer was um, people like seeing what they build um, and that's front end development. So like, let's get them excited um, while they're learning. Um, 
So pretty much it was, I think at the end of the day, it's just like, you don't absolutely need to learn back end at the beginning. Um, and this is very biased, but front end is more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if we were targeting people who are, like in the early days of the fellowship, we had a, a lot of people who were majoring in computer science, but they were freshmen or something like that. I think teaching them back end to start with made sense because they had this kind of kind of intrinsic interest in the topic. But if you take someone who's majoring in English or whatever and are trying to get them interested in tech, throwing them into back end code is probably not the best way to advertise the like why programming is fun. <laughs> also, that was me, um, English yeah. education. And as soon as we got to PHP, that's when I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it sounds like maybe the front end focus aligns better with the goals for the program. Do you guys mind sharing a little bit about like what makes, uh, wh what's a successful fellowship for a individual? Yeah. Uh, do you want to start Malia? Yes. <laughs> Can you say that? Can you say that again? Yeah. So what are, what are, what are if, you, if you had to describe what a successful um, fellowship is from an individual's perspective, say, you know, they're, they're someone who's majoring in English, they come in for the fellowship and what are you sort of promising them? And, you know, what will they have accomplished by the end to have for have you to kept that promise? Okay. Awesome. So I think the initial um, and the biggest promise is to come out with a basic understanding of coding. Um, but what they really get by the end of the coding fellowship is a deep dive into the tech industry. Um, a lot of the coding fellows, I actually feel really comfortable saying that every one of the coding fellows has had their professional world just kind of like blown up. Um, and then also just like, just when you come into the coding fellowship, you just get to be a fly on the wall in an industry that you probably didn't know about. And even if you did, um, you just didn't really have any real reference of what was happening. So they come in, they get um, a basic understanding of coding. They also get to have an understanding of the tech industry, the jobs that are available. Um, and then you also are getting mentored by me. Um, you have access to all of our developers at the team and everyone at our team. So uh, the coding fellows also come out with this new. It seems every summer that the coding fellows come out with a new understanding of their own skill set, how to monetize that and then also how to find jobs that um might be able to uh, combine their new coding skills and then the old passions and things um, that they were thinking of before. Sounds like, you know, at the end of the day, you guys are making the tech industry more accessible to non-tech people. You might as well put that on our website. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a, that sounds <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Okay. So that's helpful context for me as I think about how to answer some of your questions about no code. Um, cool. I, I, I understand. Great. So, Rick, real quick, can you just say what do you what is no code? Like, what's the whole scope of what that term means? It's a loaded term. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it also encompasses what I would call a, another term that's very related called low code. Um, so, if you first define code as uh, something that you write in a file um, that uh, a browser um, or server executes um you know on, you know on your behalf then think of no code as telling a program without code to do similar things 
um, on your behalf, but without having to actually write the code yourself. And and code, like if, you, if you're not familiar with code, code um, is, you know, looks like a bunch of, if you don't know how to read it, it looks like a bunch of gibberish with a lot of brackets, uh, curly brackets uh, on a um, on a text file. And it's, it's, it's doing things, um, it, it's instructing, you know, a, and, and correct me if I'm being, you know, making any inaccurate statements here, but it's basically instructing a computer um, what to do, um, you know, on behalf of your, you know, you or a, a user of the software program that you're, that you're creating. Um, so, so no code basically automates the com- compilation of code, um, you know, for you so that you can focus on the actual logic and the, or the look and feel, um, of the program that you are building without having to write it. Low code sort of means, um, you've built something with no code, but for whatever reason, maybe the no code software tool, um, doesn't have this feature that you need or this, this ability that you need to, to, to do. So you might actually have a way to add some to inject um, and write some custom code into the, the no-code tool. And then all of a sudden that no-code tool sort of graduates from no-code to low-code in that regard. So um, examples of no-code tools um, are, you know, a really common one people don't think of is CRMs. Um, less annoying CRM probably has some no-code functionality built into it, you know, if you think about it. Um, Zapier uh, is another example of no code. Salesforce, I mean, you can build a full functioning software application without writing any code in Salesforce using their workflow tools and um, you know custom objects. Uh, there are two different, you know, I would say there are two or three different categories of no code tools. Um, one is uh, front end tools, like you want to build a website such as uh, Squarespace um, or Wix or um, you know, Webflow. Um, other tools are are tools that sort of let you manage the logic, the logic, um, such as within your app application or across applications. So that would be ex- examples of that would be something like Zapier, um, or you know, some like a, a tool like Adalo. I don't know how actually to pronounce that. It's a De- Adelo or Dallo. It's a St. Louis company actually. Um, that uh, actually has all this built into one. So no, some no-code tools do it all. Other no-code code tools like Zapier specialize. And then the third group is da- uh, like a database, automating the database management. So without having to write SQL queries, um, being able to uh, use the no-code tool to, based on your logic, actually update the the database for your software. Um I have. I, I also think that there's an emerging sort of no-code server management suite, but I have not spent a ton of time focused on that aspect of no-code. Um, but that would I call that a separate category as well. Cool. That's already more about no-code than I knew before. Great. <laughs> um, awesome. So Malia, you spent some time looking into this, right? And Let's let's just dive in and start asking Rick questions about the specifics. Do you want to take it away? Yeah, let's do it. So the first question I have, um, and I think this is kind of where I felt the most lost when I 
Tyler, you told me about No Code, and I did a little bit of looking into it like a year ago, but not that much. Um, But then this year when I was building the curriculum for the fellowship, I went back and looked at it again. Um, And the things that I felt really comfortable with were Squarespace, Wix, Webflow, like you said, Rick. But the place that I felt super uncomfortable was when things like Airtable started to pop up. Um, And even you said Zapier, too. Um, So the real question I kept asking myself is like, what is actually possible with no code tools um, and kind of connected to that? How do you know when something is not possible with no code, especially as a beginner? Oh, that's a good question. Um, one of the quickest ways to sort of discover what is possible with no code is to go to some of the websites of the tools that you just mentioned and to look at some of their join their Slack communities, join their forums, and sort of watch what people are building with it. Oftentimes, for example, I use a, one of the things you have to build with NoCode is you have to choose your authentication system um, for user authentication. So if you want to build an app that someone can log into, usually you'd have to build code to authenticate the users, have usernames and passwords, reset passwords, that kind of thing. There actually are NoCode tools that automate all that for you. MemberStack is the tool that I use. Um, if you go to MemberStack's website, they actually have a showcase of some of their customers. And you can actually go through and see the different, the ideas to show what can be built with, with uh, you know, a, a no-code solution back on top of MemberStack. Um, so it varies by tool. Um, so one tool may have limited capabilities for a specific purpose. Another tool may have much more a promise. They all have limitations right now. That's what I would say. Like, um, you know, one of the hardest things with no code is there's a lot of tools and there's no clear leader. One of my every year, Tyler and I do, uh, I should say every year, we, we hope to every year do an annual reflection at the end of the year with goals for the next year and make, and part of those, a part of that is a prediction for the, for the year. One of my predictions, my prediction for 2020 was that a no code leader would emerge that could really do it all. And that has not happened yet. September, um, you know, we, we've seen advances in certain areas, but they all have different limitations. And until... By, until Go ahead. By do it all, uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, if you can imagine it, you can build it. Okay, so right, one of the challenges that you have right now as someone who's entering no code is that you have to actually... You might have an, an imagination of what you could build, but figuring out whether or not you can do that is very difficult. My prediction is that by the end of this year, which I'm maybe need to extend another year because um, it's not happening as fast as I thought, um, you know, there'll be a tool where you could literally just know if I just go figure out how to use this tool, I could probably build whatever I can imagine. Um, so um, back to your question though, like uh, one another way is to simply you know ex- think of your idea and then you know email reach out to these no code companies everyone the no, what's really cool about the no code movement right now is that um, there are so many people interested in furthering it that there's a huge and grow like there's a growing community that's very willing to help um, around the movement so you can literally tweet about it you can you can join one of these slack groups ask your question and find out pretty quickly by just getting help from people who want to see this thing move forward what's possible so, that, sorry. So, in addition to that being helpful information, um, can we just make a little note? 
that sounds like a great thing for the coding fellowship because it's not, again, it's not just learning how to code. It's learning how to be a professional, an adult, all those things. You could imagine a little exercise that's like, you have to connect with one of these communities this summer, right? You have to either tweet or email or something. That's one of the assignments almost. Yeah. I mean, whether you're a coder or not, uh, you have, you know, part of building something is, you know, learning how to build it, right? Because you never are going to have all the tools at your disposal. I mean, coders all the time when they have to build something, use, you know, reference materials, whether it's Stack Overflow or, um, you know, one of the document, you know, documentation libraries, it's, it's, uh, that's, it's no different with no code, right? You've, you've, you've got to kind of develop your resources that when you hit a roadblock, you know where to go get the answer on how to get around that. Um, and that, that sounds like a great exercise. That was actually going to be a little bit of my next question. Um, when you started talking about like these Slack channels and Twitter and things like that for like when I was learning how to code, um, whenever I Google something, Stack Overflow is the first thing. But um, one of the first no code tools that I tried to play with. Well, first I tried Webflow and I was like, oh, and I ran away. Um, <laughs> and then I tried Squarespace and I was so frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to make my uh, my menu. I couldn't figure out how to turn it into a hamburger menu. And I was Googling. Um, can I curse on here? Um, I was Googling. No, <laughs> I was Googling my ass off and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> um but uh, I was wondering, like at the time, as much as Stack Overflow can be frustrating, I was really hoping that there was like a Stack Overflow for no code. But it seems like you kind of have to go and find um, these kind of places. First of all, okay, wait, do they make money from Stack Overflow? Like if someone oh, yeah. was to make like a no code overflow, like do you think that's something that's going to happen? Or does it just seem like everyone... I don't know. I guess if we could, I'm kind of imagining like when coding was first being started, like did they know that people were going to be helping each other? Like how could, hmm, I kind of, I'm asking like five questions at once now. Um, what do you, what do you think about, like, is there a centralized no code um, help space? And if not, do you see one emerging? There is not a, a stack overflow for no code that you can go post an answer to and be pr- post a question to there's no Quora stack overflow yet for no code. There are communities though, um, being developed, uh, that are attempting to be that and more. I don't think like I actually, it's a pretty good idea. I think, um, MakerPad's the one that comes to mind as the premier, like fastest growing, uh, resource for no coders, but it isn't focused like stack overflow is on this, searchable library there's a lot of other stuff that they're trying to do so i think like there's an opportunity if you're looking for one in the no code space to build a stack overflow tool where it's as simple as like come you know search ask and answer questions about no code you could build it with no code too i bet i bet that's like simple enough that you wouldn't even need to code to make that totally that's going to yeah. be the Coding Fellows project next year. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what y'all thought y'all were doing, but <laughs> no code stack overflow. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, we need one of those. Um, so yeah, like, like uh, back to your original question, like what can you do? Generally, I would just say a general rule is if it's a simple CRUD app, create, read, update, delete, you're probably going to be able to do it via no code. When you start getting into heavy, um, you know, sort of engineering 
backend heavy tasks that can be, that can get a little challenging um, primarily because of, of the costs of no code because you're paying per zap or, you know, transactionally for the backend. Um, you know, also integrations are, are limited. Zapier does only so much, but when you really need to work with APIs and, um, and, uh, and, and access lots of data that can get challenging as well. Awesome. I have a question that I think is for, uh, either, either one or both of you. So, um, I was in Launch Code, which is this uh, accelerated coding bootcamp um, at the beginning of this year. And I actually ended up making a friend like a month before uh, Launch Code started. And we both got into Launch Code together. She ended up stopping Launch Code early because she got a job, like a low code job um, in the middle of Launch Code. And I was really like blown away because Tyler was telling me that this was possible. And I was like, eh, Tyler just... Tyler just wants me to think I can do stuff. This isn't real. Um, <laughs> and uh, then she got this job. And I was wondering, like, one, why would a company seek out, like, no-code developers over traditional software developers? And do you guys have any idea of what what they would be looking for? Because, like, this person, my friend, she had no technical background. She was literally in launch code for two months. And then, boom, like... She's now a visual developer. I really like this question because it, it gets, I think the answer to this relates very closely to a potential curriculum for your fellowship. Um, so I, 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 I can only answer from my experience, but as the CEO of a company uh, previously called Zane Benefits and now People Keep, we had engineers that would focus on the product. Um, but when we, you know, there are so many different other software tools and automations that can be built in areas outside of what I would call the core product. We're talking CRM, CRMs, uh, marketing automations, um, reach out, uh, freemium tools that could help educate a client automatically. And um, all, oftentimes what, what ends up happening is you start pulling um, coding engineer talent toward those problems and your product doesn't develop, which is built on code, it doesn't get the resources that it could. So as an employer, I'm going, man, there's this technical challenge that can be solved with no code, whether it's uh, using more features in a CRM, connecting the CRM uh, via Zapier to the marketing system, or building a lightweight tool um, on top that sort of is a front end, uh, you know, a first part of the funnel uh, for a customer entering in the normal product. I, I can bring someone on um, who has substantially less skill, maybe in terms of coding know-how, but can solve the problem. And my engineering talent can focus on what they're good at. Yeah, I kind of think of the word prototype as being key here. Like some companies build the actual product in no code. That's what you're doing, Rick. But I've thought like it wouldn't shock me if Less Annoying Serum has a no code, like a full time no coder at some point. And it's to build anything where a prototype quality product works. And like you said, that's internal tools or these little marketing things or whatever. And like, why would you do that rather than code it yourself? I think one is speed, right? If you're really good with no code tools, like, you know, getting a user login system, get you know, all these common patterns that a coder would take a long time doing, you could just get them up and running immediately. But even more important than that, I think, is maintainability. 
because we're going through this right now where I'm a programmer in the early days of less knowing CRM, I coded everything, our website, our whole analytics stack and like attribution for new signups and stuff. And it worked great, except now we're 19 people. And every time one of the marketing people wants to make a change to the website, I have to write code. Whereas now we're switching to Webflow mixed with its Webflow mixed with uh, Swift type or whatever it's called. There's a bunch of different tools we're linking together. It's not necessarily easier to get it set up in the first place, but once it's set up, any random person can go in and fiddle with the knobs and make changes to it. So I think, Malia, you you kind of originally said what type of skills and like, what does that job look like? Is that right? Yeah. Like, I think the skills is prototype something quickly that other people can use. And it's almost a different, there's a different team of people building the really polished product, right? It's not, I, I just think it's like, it's this little like side person going out there and doing stuff really fast and quick and dirty when it doesn't need to be polished. Yeah. The the thing I would add to that too is, is there's just generally good no coders understand, have a, have a pretty good understanding of how things link together, meaning they understand how how a pro- two programs can talk to each other. They may not use the word API, but they know that there's a way for for data to get sent back and forth. They can imagine what's possible with code and then sort of use, figure out how to use the integration sections of tools that already exist at the company and bring on new tools that, that integrate with the ones that they have and configure those things. They, they they know how sort of the the information flows on the internet. They're they're school. They're they're, they're they really get it. And so you, whether they have experience, they, they might have ex- deep experience in the a particular no code tool that the company's currently using, or they may just be really good at figuring tools out like that and and maximizing the return. So, so can as you're talking, Rick, to me. It's, it almost sounds like the skills of a no-coder are very, very similar to entrepreneurial skills, whereas the skills of a more like full-time programmer, like they're, they're often called software engineers, and maybe that's the right term. Like They are engineers. They're trained to do this one thing. They're deep domain experts on that thing, but probably they're not necessarily the fastest at it. They're not the most adaptable. They can do that thing. When I think of what an entrepreneur does... It's like, there's a million things that need to be done. I don't have to do a great job at any of them. I just have to do good enough that the company can exist. I have to figure out how it all connects together and I have to get something shipped. That sounds like all the same stuff we're talking about with no code. There are exceptions to that. And I think like, let's just take an example of a Salesforce CRM, like CRM manager. Like if you're, there are certain data critical no code tools or low code tools that have this have similar standards internally that that a that a enterprise application would, and you would be similarly inflexible. Like everything you described an engineer for would would be required for that role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm guessing like there's sort of two dimensions of this. One is, you know, startup. We need some you know we need someone entrepreneurial to help us connect the dots and figure this out. Go from you know zero to one. And then there's, we've got this thing working. We need someone to make sure it doesn't fail and then to systematize it and, and iterate it over time. That's another separate skill set and application of this. And if you think about it, engineers have the same one. You've got the full stack developer that you would bring on early at a company, but then you start to specialize as you get older. 
Hmm. Malia, do you know what your friend's doing? Like, does one of those describe their position? I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It sounded like visual design, which probably means she's she's using probably her design skills in conjunction with one of the website tools like Webflow, Squarespace, or HubSpot, maybe. That looks. That sounds like what she posts on social media. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds. Uh, sometimes many people have said this in different ways, but like. There's two ways to be successful. One is to be really, really great at something, and the other is to be okay at two things. And it sounds like that's what she's doing. Like she's she's not a full time designer and she's not a full time coder. But by knowing how code works and knowing how design works, boom, you've got a career. Yep. Yeah. I'm, so funny how I want to. Go ahead. I, that design and code part. Um, I was I didn't know how to ask this question, so thanks. Um, it seemed like in the the one so. Let me uh, pause for a second, too. So we talked about how there was one week of no code. There was one week that I forced the coding fellows um, to, like, play with some no code tools. But some of the coding fellows after that week decided, like, well, this is pretty cool. I want to spend some more time doing this. Um, And then some of the other coding fellows were like, nope, I don't want to do this. This is not coding. I'm not interested. Um. I found that the ones that were interested in no code were also really interested in design. And so um, these two specific um, coding fellows, they both ended up playing a little bit with Webflow. Um, One ended up building her whole business website on Squarespace. Um, And then they also both took a design course. And I guess I'm, I'm curious about, it seems like with coding, I think, when I think about a software engineer, I think a lot of logic um, and I think about a lot of numbers and things like that. But with no code, I really do think more about design. Um, and so I'm thinking about uh, people that are not typical tech industry type of uh, like people, I guess. Um, I think my question is, if if we were like thinking about the coding fellowship and how we'll market it moving forward, if we really start let's say we do something crazy and do like half code half no code do you think that it would be hmm, do you think that it would be like in line with how do I ask this question hmm I think my question is is it smart to try to like recruit people who think that who would be more interested in organizing a website and deciding where to put things um, and just like seeing more of that visual cue and saying like no code is going to be the space for you like whereas with coding we're really not I don't really feel like we're people don't really expect to come in and learn design but it seems like to be a good no code user you need to one um, know these different relationships that you're talking about but I also think that you really need to know how to design things because I think you're doing more designing than building. Does that sound like true, at least for like no code web development applications? Does that sound true to what you've seen? Yeah, totally. With, with the, with the Webflow, Squarespace's Wix, those are, those are basically front end design tools. Um, So true for that, but there's a whole group of other type of no code tools that are much more logic heavy and not like they, you don't, the, the unfortunate thing about them and their limitation is that they don't allow a lot of design customization. So, but, but they allow full logic. And so for, for example, Adalo, I, I really don't know how to pronounce their name. I'm so sorry. I really like these guys. Um, and they're right in your backyard. So 
they they are very logic heavy. So you can actually build an, uh, a mobile application um, that that can also function double as a, a desktop app, and it's very, like you can set up all kinds of logic and scripts to run in the background. Bubble is another one that is very logic heavy, um, but but both of them design with both of those you know especially Adalo design is heavily limited. The reason I my my company is using Webflow member stack Zap with Zapier over Adalo is due to the design limitations. But back to your question, I think like the no like the 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 person's interest, the fellow the fellow's interest will drive what no code tools they're going to want to work with. If they're more interested in the logic than the design, they're going to go with a tool like Bubble or Adalo that lets them do all kinds of stuff within one app versus um, Webflow, which you have to string together a lot of stuff and is very much a front-end developer tool. Can If I can go down a rabbit hole here, that's probably going to be... This is going to be like a dumb shower thought, but um, I was talking with someone earlier today who like mentioned she's a visual learner. And so we were trying. I was trying to explain a technical concept using like math basically and then she, she basically she said draw it please and then drawing it uh I'm, i think will work better i'm waiting to see if it, it actually sunk in but um i wonder if malia to your point there's two different like there's a two two by two grid and it's there was maybe a difference between creating visual things versus creating functional things which is separate from being a visual learner versus being I don't know what the alternative to a visual learner is, but some other type of learner. All no-code, whether you're b- building visual things or not, you're using a visual interface to build it. Is that pretty much right? Yes. I don't know where I'm going with that. but Yeah, I mean, it's all visual, <laughs> uh, but there there definitely are, are two s- distinct types of no-coding. One is coding logic and, de- and sort of data updates and exchanges and actions and the other is, you know, you know, designing what something looks like and what is displaying to the user. And I think uh, those two are the, fun- functionally they are the same in terms of you're going to drag and drop things. It's going to be very visual, but in terms of what you're thinking about, does it look pretty? Do, mm-hmm. Does it feel good? Is is what you're going to look be thinking about on the Webflow side? Whereas on the Adalo side, you're going to be you know, it, you're being a thinking in for loops and if then statements. So Malia, you were asking about what should we be looking for when we're recruiting and stuff like that. I almost wonder, it could be, do you, do you like design and stuff? But I bet someone out there has figured out how do you evaluate if someone's a visual thinker or a visual learner? I don't know the answer. Is that something you cover in like education classes at all? They pretend to. <laughs> okay. Anyway, cool. Do I just get to keep asking questions? I have many questions. Keep doing it. So yeah, we're at 47 minutes right now. So uh, we can definitely keep going here. (laughs) Okay. So um, Rick, do you have coding experience? I can't remember. That's a good question. So I'm, I'm tainted in my ability to give true answers to this because I did major in computer science at Duke. I did learn Java at a very young age. Um, or C++ or whatever it was. Like I've learned C++, Java. I've built my own website since I was 10. Like I had a, I was a big gamer growing up and I shouldn't say growing up. I still am a big gamer, but I like my first entrepreneurial endeavor was building a 
multi-game clan uh, gaming group. We call them clans online. So I, I come from a pretty significant technical background, uh, computer at a young age. Um, so I'm a little bit, yeah, I did know how to code is the answer. <laughs> okay, cool. So, okay, great. So another just little anecdote from the summer. I was really excited because um, all the fellows were somewhat interested in no code, like just cool that basically, let me pause. So this summer we started with HTML and CSS. And before we moved into JavaScript, that's when uh, we had our week of no code. They were all pretty interested at first. Um, But again, the reason that the two that decided not to go into no code was because they were so interested in being like great coders. They wanted they really wanted to develop their coding skills. So they decided not to going into no code. Um, But by the end of the summer, everyone had tried some no code. So I think it was two weeks before the fellowship was over. in one of our, I call them like morning teas. Um, I still have like teacher things that come out, but um, <laughs> I would just make them talk to me at 9 a.m. for like 15 minutes before they started their day. Um, and one of the things I said, I was like, guys, we have this great idea. I'm pretty sure we're going to do way more no code next summer. Um, and I think I want to start with no code. And I thought they were going to be like, "Woo, yeah, because we'll get to build stuff that we can see. And they were like, no no, this is not okay. They need to struggle first. They need to understand what code does first, and then you can move into no code. Um, And I was really surprised by that. Um, And then I was also really grateful because it made sense to me. Do you have, when I said that, do you have any like initial reactions? Like for someone knowing that our goals for the coding fellowship are for people to come out with a basic understanding of coding, um, and then also just some skills that are going to be useful for them to be able to move into the tech industry if they want to. Do you have any just uh, thoughts on whether we should start with no code tools or start with some basic coding first? Um, And what are your reasons behind this? That's a great question. Uh, This goes back to what is the job person looking for? Um, What is the employer looking for in a no code person? Um, I, so I, I don't know that they need to have learned how to code before, but they need to know how the internet works and how computers work and how you know it all connects together. How you get them there, I don't know, uh, but that's the key, right? The, the 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 people who can take advantage of no code tools are the people who get how integrations function and and the value of them. They get how you know, a browser works, um, and how it displays stuff. Um, they get how JavaScript works. Um, they, they, they also understand how difficult it is to, uh, you know, build logic and, and manage a database. So, uh, how you get them there, I don't know. It might be, it might be them doing the coding. It might be building a curriculum around how the internet works. Uh, but yeah, you need to really, to really get the most out of no code, you really do not need to understand how this, what it's automating. Let me pitch an idea here. What if you, the first of each lesson was done in a no code tool and then you had to build it yourself with code. So rather than saying we're going to do no code and then we're, we're going to do code say like go on Squarespace, which I think is pretty close to the simplest, how to make a website thing, make your website. 
don't tell them what's happening next and then say, okay, now you have to code that up without Squarespace. And then, okay, let's make a form in Airtable. Okay, now you have to code up that form or something like that. So, because what you, Rick, just said to me is you have to know the concepts, but what's the right way to learn it? And what Malia, I think, is saying is learning with code first, it's like learning theory before you understand what the point of the theory is. So I wonder if that's a way. To, I know for me, I like learning. Here's what the point is. And then then I'm interested enough to say, here's the theory behind it. What do, do either of you have thoughts on that approach? I totally have. I, this is not my area of expertise. I defer. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exciting to me. Um, it makes me think of uh, when you made when you made um, some of the coding fellows. I don't know if you made me do this. Um, if not, I'm really good at blocking out trauma. Um, but <laughs> uh, just when you make when you make us like recode something that we built before, it sounds it sounds really similar to that. Rick, when mm-hmm. you were talking, I was going back and forth. I was like, okay, well, no code first. And I was like, oh no, we should code first. Um, but I like the idea of doing them side by side, especially for logic based things. Like I was, um, oh, I can't remember her name. Um, there's this really cool woman who has a no code business where she literally just builds sites for businesses um, with no code tools. And she was talking about how when she first started learning about no code, she um, she just she found these uh, email marketing no code tools that would just be like, if this send emails. Um, and I just thought about like, I probably would have I think I would have caught on to if else statements uh, quicker if I could if I didn't have to focus on just the code the whole time, that sounds exciting to me doing them side by side. Yeah. I wonder what the right, like building a website is an obvious first one. I wonder what, cause if you, if you take this approach, what you're saying is when they leave, they should know how the internet works. So you probably need some kind of forms, APIs, that type of thing. And then probably basics of conditional logic. So if else and so on, and then loops while in for loops those are probably like you can't say you can code if you don't know loops and if statements but you probably don't need more than that in one summer to say i can tell if i like this and if i'm gonna continue pursuing it i wonder what the right no code projects would be to to teach those concepts i'm thinking about your juice business and i'm going what if you had a subscription product there that you had to build on no code well, you'd need, you know, a front end website, you'd need user authentication, you'd need um, uh, a database for tracking your users, and then you'd need some sort of billing function. That's actually something you could build on a Dalo and have a mobile app probably out in a week. Um, once you understand how it works and you would have if, you know, if this, cl- you know, if statement th- this, um, that you'd have logic built in on the billing, um, probably using a, stri- a Stripe integration with Adalo. Um, so I guess, you know, it's almost like you need a project that takes into account each piece. So if, if you can figure out what the pieces are of the internet that you need to understand and then have sort of a project that hits on all of those and then build it both maybe via code and no code, that would be like, pretty stellar and my guess is that you probably couldn't build your a new fellow fellow probably would have a really hard time building your juice business uh, software 
um, in a summer, but via code, but they could probably pull it off with the right training um, with no code. Hmm. Pause real quick. Malia, there's a separate idea we've talked about, which is running like a, a more general entrepreneurship thing. So the same thing as the coding fellowship, but like not start, don't learn how to code, learn how to start a business. Having a little bit on no code and saying for, you're going to get your business billing, login, what subscription service with with one of these tools would be an amazing fit for that, I think. Like if you're non-technical, learning how to do that. Okay, anyway, we can go back to the actual coding fellowship stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so I I don't know the right answer to coding versus no coding. I I just I, yeah if 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 someone can leave knowing if they wanted to learn build something they feel like they could it may take a long time but they could build whatever they envisioned I think that's exciting. Yeah, I have in my head here just like they do something that doesn't feel like code and then you say congratulations you just used a loop. Let's learn what a loop is. And they do something, and you're like, congratulations, you just used an if statement. Let's learn what an if statement is. It's totally wicked. <laughs> cool. What else? We're, we're running up sort of uh, on time here, but any any last-minute questions you want, Malia? Yeah, so... Hmm. If... Let me not try to predict the answer. I'll just ask my question. <laughs> um, what were, so, okay, let me just pause. So now that I know that you knew how to code before, um, okay, can I have two questions? <laughs> you can have as many questions as you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So first, um, knowing that you, you have like coding experience and you, you've built some things and like pretty much from what you said in uh, just sharing your coding experience, like you're one of those people, I think when, uh, so people think I'm super cool when um, I tell them I teach people how to code. They're like, Oh my gosh, you're a wizard. And I'm like, not really. Um, but you sound like a wizard, like you sound and by a wizard. I think of people that when you code something, you get like super hype about it. Um, like these, this, these gaming applications, like, I don't know. It seems like there was joy found in that. How did you, how did you decide that you were going to make, um, your company like using only no code tools? Was it just about timing? Um, or were there other things that like factored into that decision? Yeah. So, um, by learn by knowing how to code, I mean I took a few courses and I knew how to build websites. But I was, you know, when I was faced and just when I was starting Leg Up Health, to how am I going with the question, how am I going to build this? I talked to Tyler a lot about it. One of the question, one of the, we we had a full episode on should I bring on a co-founder to build the application? So that was a big point where it was like, if I bring on a co-founder, Tyler was telling me in order to get someone as awesome as him, I'm going to have to pay him a whole lot of money uh, or give up half the company and. Uh, and so I, that really, you know, that was a big moment of mine. I was like, I don't want to do that. So then it's like, oh, how do I build this myself? And, you know, I, I started re, re, revisiting the coding that I had learned. And when I did that, I realized, wow, I don't know nearly enough about this and to build the application that I want. Um, so how can I, I, I need to start learning this stuff anyway. So I started learning it. But then I said, then I discovered no code. And I said, well, maybe with these no code tools, it's possible for me to shortcut that process um, and at least validate my idea with my business 
with a prototype like Tyler talked about earlier. And then while I'm building that prototype and using it and validate and va- validating it, you know, still learn how to code. When I, when I started doing that, I realized how much more powerful no code was than I had thought it was. And I could actually see running this business on a no code platform for a long, long time. And as a result, I've actually eased up on the gas pedal with coding. Um, but I am limited. So there is like there is a, a drive for me still to learn how to be as good of a coder as Tyler to be able to build this stuff. But it's not necessary for my business right now. So I don't have this burning like, ah, I got to lo- go learn you know Python tomorrow. It's worth noting that your business is sort of like a software supported whatever you're not selling like someone's not buying the software from you so there's probably just like with any business idea or any project idea you can set constraints for yourself and say well what about this is easy and what about this is hard and the building the most polished most amazing software from day one was not one of the things that needed to be hard for you totally totally yeah another business that i started recently is um, we actually just shut it down it's called group current and it was a it was um an outsourced service provider for community-based groups, so nonprofits who had members or trade trade groups, or even like communities for a company, and we would do everything. But the ultimate goal was to build member management software, right? That would do all that automatically for the client without us having to be involved. We ran into major no-code limitations with that product that made it, you know it required us to bring on a technical founder or one of us to learn how to code. I tried to learn fast enough, but it would have taken another year or two before I could have gotten that product out with coding. Okay. Last question. So, (laughs) um, Oh wait. Oh, darn. I thought I, okay. Last question. Real life. So, Aw, I don't want this to be my last question. I think I want to pick a different one. Ah, whatever. Okay. Hmm. Okay. If this is not a baller question, I'm going to ask another one. Because I kind of feel like I have some of the answers. But anyway, um, in your early... Wait, first, when did you when did you start learning no code? Well, that's a tr- tricky question because I was the Salesforce administrator at the la- at my last company for 10 years. And so, and then I also did, I was a big proponent of no-code before the no-code term existed. So I would say 10 plus years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. What made you, so you talked about, dang, Tyler, sorry. I just feel like I get more and more embarrassing anytime I have to talk about the CRM. But <laughs> <laughs> You're about to get some training on it, right? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so um, you talked about Rick. You talked about um, like CRMs are like a no code tool, and you reminded me of some YouTube tech bro that um, was telling me. Well, telling me <laughs> he had this video um, where he was just sharing no code tools, like beginner no code tools, and one of them was this note taking app. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like black and white and had an N on it. Um, Notion. Yeah. Um, and he just talked, he was talking, he was talking in a very similar way, um, how you were talking about the CR- CRMs as no code tools. So like, you can maybe mesh like now and well, 
learning to learning the tools you need for your company and then 10 years ago when you were learning salesforce um but like what when you were trying to build something without code what were the like biggest challenges um that you were running into and like did you have help with them um this is partially i'm kind of asking this question um in advance for a coding fellow and then also just for anyone who's maybe thinking about learning some no code tools like what types of things should they be expecting to come into um and where can they find well one can they find the answers and where good question so i think um i think it's very difficult to learn no code if you're not trying to solve a a specific problem so in my case like where i really got into it was was salesforce um, our CRM and do you, uh, Tyler, you helped with that transition. And we, we, when we switched to Salesforce, it opened up so many possibilities because it, it democratized access to the CRM data, meaning I didn't have to go to Tyler, a coder to get something anymore. I could actually access it myself visually. Um, and then for example, with Salesforce, they're just like, you know, uh, what is it? Stack Overflow. You know, just like Stack Overflow, Salesforce has a ton of community forum and uh, documentation around how to maximize its use. So while once we moved to Salesforce, anytime we, we, we recognized a problem that was sales or marketing or customer service related, we would go to the Salesforce and, you know, libraries and go, does Salesforce have a solution to this problem? And, you know, that made it very easy to learn and and implement new things and identify solutions, but those are driven by problems. So, you know, if you think about it, one of the problems we had that made us go to Salesforce in the first place was when we needed to do something in the CRM, we had to go to Tyler to do it, which took him away from the product. And Tyler said one day, well, why don't we switch to Salesforce? I did not say that. <laughs> I think I said Salesforce. it. I, prob- I probably said it. And the reason I said it was because you're not moving fast enough for me and you're slowing down our sales and you're, sell- you're slowing down our marketing. So Salesforce solved a problem for us. And then it was a lot of iterative stuff within that. So I guess, you know, tell me what problem you need to solve and then let's, let's you know, decide whether no code can solve that. Does that help? I think that help. I have a, a follow up question. So um, if if I'm hearing you right, it's like to me, it kind of sounds like when people say like, what's the best way to learn how to code? And it's like, go build something like is that <laughs> the answer? Like, go build something and then um, your problems will like bring you to the questions that you need answered. Yeah, but I would say there's a caveat there, which is you have to be enthusiastic about what you're building. Um, it has to matter to you in some way. Um, it's you know, I wrote an article a while ago about uh, forcing functions, and you know, if you if you if you don't have something that's forcing you to work on that thing, whether it's your own enthusiasm and passion, or a deadline, or reputation loss if you don't succeed, it's very difficult for that to go anywhere. Um, so, leg up health, for example, is something I'm very passionate about. So it's led to a lots of um, you know iter- quick iteration on that. But if I was working on something less interesting to me, I don't know how much progress I would have made. It sounds to me like something, Malia, that 
we and particularly you should spend some time on before the next summer, uh, the fellowship starts, is figuring out what are the constraints on a problem where no code is the solution. And uh, you're never going to be able to perfectly describe it. But you're maybe just examples, right? Here's a thing that was built with no code. Here's a different thing that couldn't because of X, Y, Z limitation in no code. Because uh, I think a lot of these questions are kind of circling around that basic thing of what what can you do and what can't you do? And that'll help us figure out, well, what are good projects for no code and so on? And I would, to, to answer that question, I would scour MakerPad, Adalo, and MemberStack, um, and Webflow. I join those Slack groups and I just ask a ton of questions and peruse the profiles and portfolios of the people who are active in the groups and you'll find really quickly um, what what's possible um, and then you'll you'll be able to it, I think it's gonna be harder to find out what's not possible um, but I bet they have people saying hey how do I do this thing and there's no answer yes I, I bet that would be pretty informative to see like where is it falling short and can totally. we can we see patterns in those where it's like well they're all related to this type of thing. <laughs> is that uh, an adequate last question for you? That's an adequate last question. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm content. It was, it was baller. It was baller. I think baller status for show. Sure. All right, <laughs> cool. Um, well, Malia, thanks for uh, so much for for being on the podcast today. Um, listeners, I'd be interested in feedback, questions for Rick on no code, questions for Malia on the fellowship. Um, feel free to send them our way because this is kind of a weird episode for us and. We can do more of these or not do more of these, depending on what people think. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff, so I enjoyed it, if anyone cares. Um, but yeah, if you ever have any questions or follow-up questions, Malia, you can you can reach out anytime. So don't hesitate to use me too. I have a really strong track record of taking people up. So uh, <laughs> yeah, she'll, she'll be emailing you, I promise. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait. Cool. Uh, you want to sign us off, Rick? Yep. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week, Tyler. See you.